are in our series going through Ephesians, and we have a glorious passage today. Many in Ephesians are memorable and worthy, but this one in particular is incredible. We're going to actually be spending two weeks in this text because it is so uh, significant. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we will stand and remember the gift that Scripture is to us. So, I'll read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and we will pray. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you are the focal point of the scriptures and that as we read them, uh, your spirit helps us, is, is a guide to us to help us see your glory. So we ask just that. Would you fulfill your promise? to speak to us through your word. Uh, We particularly pray uh, for those in our our church, those who are part of our body, of your body among us, who are sick this week. We pray healing over them. We pray comfort for them. And just as they need to be away from this gathering, we pray that you would bless them with a special sense of your presence with them and uh, stir our longing to be together again and for, at the end of time, the new creation where sickness is no more. And so help us speak to us now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and take a seat. As we've been walking through this letter that is called Ephesians, because the Apostle Paul who wrote it sent it to churches in the city of Ephesus in what was called um, ancient Asia, modern-day Turkey, we've called this series The Geography of Heaven, because what you see in Ephesians is so profoundly transformative to being a human being That it's as though heaven itself has come to earth and Ephesians is a guide to try and help us have a map to overlay the reality of God's presence, which is the biblical definition of heaven, to overlay God's presence to our lives. And today we come to Everest, Mount Everest in the geography of heaven. Um, The ultimate apex, the purpose that Paul writes this letter is articulated not so much as a, as a doctrine or a theology or something that's supposed to be all heady that we can tuck away into the archives of our minds. It's a prayer. Multiple times throughout Ephesians, Paul just bursts out into praying as he's writing to these Christians in these young communities called churches. 
And this particular passage of Scripture, as we walk through it, I hope that you will take away an eager longing for God to grant you and us together, plural you, a taste of this. Because I do not know about you, I do not want to be a Christian, I do not want to be a follower of Jesus who has a bunch of information stored away in my mind about what I know is supposed to be true or what I could stand on as a worldview, but that all of that would form my actual day-in, day-out experience of God, of the with-God life. And that's what Paul prays for, because, you see, if we were to all kind of survey our prayer lives, and I, I just to ask you, okay, think about it, actually do this with me, think about your moments of prayer over the last week or month, whatever it might be. You might not even be a follower of Jesus this morning, but statistically most people pray in some way, shape, or form. I have a buddy who prays to the universe and asks uh, for it to help him. We all have this innate sense where we cry out to something beyond ourselves. And if you were to reflect, what do I most pray about? For some of us, it would be for success, you know, making it through this upcoming finals week. Maybe it's for, for uh, achieving at work uh, a, an above average review or getting the promotion. Some of us pray for material provision, whether because we have desire for prosperity or we're struggling to even survive. Some of us pray most for relief from pain, physical, maybe even mental health or relational. Some of us pray for our sports team to win the championship. That one might just be me. And it's been answered no for a long time. <laughs> um, but what you pray for most reveals what your heart most desires. What you pray for most reveals or tends to reveal what your heart most desires, or at least something adjacent to it. So... We should take seriously these moments where the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to young churches, the things that he bursts out into prayer for. I'm not even going to assume that we all know what prayer is, though. Um, so what is prayer? I have a, a really helpful definition here for us. What is prayer? Written with a capital P, prayer, as a big category, we have a generic term for any process or activity qualified by living relations between human souls and God. It not only embraces all the usual divisions of prayer, but all such works, arts, and moral acts which truly spring from communion with God. Prayer, quite simply, is the total experience of the Christian man and woman. Sometimes it's helpful to boil things down into really bite-sized, memorable chunks, right? So we probably have some definition of prayer. Maybe it was like pouring our hearts out to God, communication with God. But the vision of the life of, of a follower of Jesus is that prayer would not just be these moments where we direct our words toward God, whether inward or outward, but that prayer would actually be a kind of way of life. 
That prayer would be this cognizant living awareness of God's presence with us that soon, rather than us just kind of seeing something happen here and then retreating, whether in our hearts or in our prayer closets, to pray about it, it would be the lens through which we see life. So those of you who are married, after you're married for seven or eight years, they say, supposedly, you start finally living your life with regard to the incorporation of another that you are married to in your decision-making, just naturally. It's no longer a, oh, shoot, I forgot I'm married, so I made that decision without considering my spouse. It actually becomes this incorporated way that you see your life. We should not strive just to have 10 minutes of time where we're checking off a list praying each morning but actually to see prayer as a fundamental way that we live the with God life on a daily basis. Tracking with me? The reason that's important for us this morning is because what we most need to live the Christian life is what Paul prays for. What we most need to follow Jesus and to grow in Jesus and to continually be with Jesus is what Paul prays for. Paul is praying for the Ephesians. You ready for this? He's praying for the Ephesians to have power. I wonder if, if that's what we feel like our needs are on a regular basis as Christians. What I really need today is power to follow Jesus. Paul is praying for the Ephesians to have power because we were made to be the dwelling place of God. But in a fallen world, our human inertia resists our created purpose. I said something crazy there. We were made to be the dwelling place of God. Where do I get that from? Um, Paul starts this prayer by saying, for... Or so I bend my knees before the Father. And remember, if you remember last week, uh, Brian taught and, and shared with us that Paul's starting to say something and then gets sidetracked almost immediately in chapter 3, verse 1. And he goes on this rabbit trail about his ministry. This, he's picking it back up now. So we go back to chapter 3, verse 1, and see the so that's there, which follows Ephesians 2.22, which is the why. This is, this is why. This is what Paul is praying for in light of. Ephesians 2.22 says, In him you all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You, as one created in the image of God, redeemed and ransomed into the people of God, sitting here right now, June 5th, 2022, Westwood, Los Angeles, upside down in Westwood Village. God desired in the gospel, in the sending of his son, in the laying down of his life, in the resurrection and the pouring out of new creation in the Holy Spirit, his desire, the why for all of that, is that we would be a community, a people, where God himself can dwell. 
That is what following Jesus is about. It's about learning the with God life together. And if we can experience and take hold of that, what happens when we experience that kind of renewal is it overflows and people all around us can tell. Hopefully you feel inadequate for that. And I don't know, I know that I don't know all the reasons that we collectively feel inadequate to be the dwelling place of God himself, our creator and lover. But that's why we need power. We need power in verse 17, Paul says, to know Jesus. We need power in verse 18, Paul says, to experience Jesus. We need power in verse 19, Paul says, to be filled with Jesus. Paul is so desperate for this that he actually says, so I'm kneeling in prayer. The main point over the next two weeks is that following Jesus requires power. Spiritual power comes through proximity to Jesus. We get closer and closer to Jesus as the Spirit teaches us moment by moment prayerful awareness. That's this week. Next week, we're going to see in this prayer that power also comes for the Christian life through love. So if you could take one simple thing away today, you need power to follow Jesus, and that power comes through prayer and through love. So today we'll be talking about how prayer is the core practice for all followers of Jesus. There are many practices that we engage in. There are many gifts that God has given us. Scripture guides and, and forms and shapes our prayer. Scripture is where we hear prayer, uh, or hear the voice of God rather, most clearly and definitively. But prayer is our chief response to God. It's the way that we orient ourselves. To God. So to the Jesus follower, which I assume is why we're here this morning, like, Lord, I need you. I want to follow you. Praying is like breathing and eating. To not pray means that we must be satiating ourselves with other things. But that's like trying to eat air. Once you've tasted Jesus and his presence and his goodness and his kindness, you can't be satisfied with air anymore. Once you've feasted on the glory of his love and his goodness and his beauty, I mean, like I'm blown away at this exhibit in here that they just put up this last week. Like this art is amazing. I, I find it absolutely beautiful. It's nothing in comparison to Jesus. But this stuff feels more real to us so often. Because we live in a world that makes it very difficult for us to take hold of Jesus. But to pray is to wrestle our eyes to seeing him. And so prayer is like breathing and eating. If, if the Commons LA is your home church community, whether you're a student who's here nine months out of the year or you're rooted here in the community, my chief ambition 
for however long that Jesus has you here. Right? Like, obviously, there are a lot of aspects of the Christian life. My chief ambition is that you would learn to love prayer because everything else flows from that fountain. The question is, will we do our part in learning what Jesus is so willing to teach us? So, Paul's praying for power. Why do we need power for this faith, and how does prayer help us? Um, I'm going to walk us through just to show explicitly that you cannot follow Jesus and grow in Jesus without power from Jesus. Why do we need power for faith? Because getting in to the Christian life, getting in on Jesus is just the beginning. So, the goal of Christianity is not just to get saved. It's not just to be justified, to be made morally right before God. That's the only way into life with God, like the doorway of a house. You've got to pass through the doorway. Jesus is the door, he says in John 10. We're justified when we come to God through Jesus, but that's not the point. The point of the Christian life is to live immersed in the reality of God's kingdom here and now. And so any sort of Christian theological system or mode of discipleship that does not actually seek to teach us how to receive grace to get in, but then to walk by grace to mature falls woefully short. And the reason that I have to keep hitting on this and that we have to continually talk about this is because many of us met Jesus in places where grace was what God does and we just cultivate gratitude, and then somehow everything else miraculously happens, spontaneously. That is not the biblical picture that, that Scripture paints. That grace is freely given to us. God comes due to no earning of our own, right? Just like the song. When, um, uh, come thy fount, how does it go? Jesus saw me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. Now you'll have no excuse to not sing. <laughs> he to rescue me from danger, and you know the rest, right? We did nothing to get in, but we would fail to experience the blessing and richness of life with God if we don't respond. We need power because we need to respond to walking grace. Paul in Ephesians 3.17 says that he's praying for power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Here's what we know he's not praying. He's not praying that you may have Christ dwell in your hearts and be saved. He's praying that Christ may more and more and more and more dwell richly in you. One old author said it this way, the indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. The indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. If you have trusted Jesus and turned him, you have him by the Spirit. But all the hunger and longings and desires that are in your heart for more of him are intended to draw you to the one who is the bread of life, that he may dwell more and more richly in you. So, 
We need power for faith because getting in on Jesus is just the beginning. But secondly, um, well, let's, I have one more thing to say. I just want to remind us this morning. We read a liturgy for being distracted with too much information. Let's remember who Jesus is. Because maybe, maybe some of us are struggling to even desire him this morning. To have become a follower of Jesus is to believe a few things that are clear as day in Scripture. One, Jesus himself is the way into the satisfying presence of the Father. Jesus is the way, John 14, 3, into the satisfying presence of the Father. The only way. Two, Jesus is the Savior who can save us from every peril in this life, even death, and even from ourselves. The only Savior can do those things. Third, Jesus is Lord, who is making all things new in the cosmos. He's the only one who can do that. And four, Jesus is teacher, who trains us in the path of human flourishing as God intended. So maybe you just need that simple refresher because life gets so complicated. Sometimes it feels like we're walking through weeds and we can't remember who Jesus is. If these things are true, hopefully it spurs a bit of awakening to say, I need more of him. Because his assumption is that to be one of his followers is to always have access to that him. We believe these things this morning, right? Yeah. And we want to learn how to integrate these realities into our lived reality here and now. That's what it means for heaven to have come to earth. But our experience goes like this, right? Because union, which is secure in Jesus by the Spirit that had nothing to do with us, is different than our experience of communion, which just like the waves out on Santa Monica Beach, goes in and out, in and out, and almost as mysteriously as the waves do. We need power to partner with God in the growth he invites us into as we follow Jesus. We need power because we want more of this Jesus who is always present with us. So Paul isn't praying that these people would stay saved when he says he's praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts, but that their salvation would overflow into lives with God pouring forth. That's the first thing. We need power to grow with Jesus. But secondly, we need power because the world, the flesh, and the devil oppose us in that. There is a real adversary and if when you look around at your life and you feel no opposition at all, you need to wake up to the reality around us. These are, these are scriptural New Testament categories, not just like preacher categories that might come out like an alliteration kind of thing. The world opposes you. The system that we live in flows in a particular path, and that direction is away from God necessarily. So there are all sorts of good 
partially true dynamics that are not completely true, that if we don't know how to swim against that current, we'll be swept away, away from God by that current. We need power to swim against the stream of the world. We need power because inside of us, the flesh, this reality that kind of propels us away from God and in on ourselves is another force that we need power to overcome. So while there are components of beauty in our image of godness, we need to own the reality that our flesh resists God in our daily life. And so it's a good thing to be aware of your desires, but it is not a good thing to not question the desires that come up in you. We need power in order to actually resist the ways that our flesh would draw us away from God. We need power for the world, the flesh, and the devil. There is external, agential evil, evil that is caused by someone in the world. Spiritual forces exist in our world all around us. It's not a rarity that they work. Um, as you learn to pray, one of the things that you will come alive and awakened to more and more is the reality of just how prevalent spiritual warfare is. There's a reason this all feels so hard, because the world and the flesh are supercharged by the adversary. And the good news is, we have the spirit in us who can bring us power. That's why Paul writes in another letter, we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I, after the last couple of years, we're taking two weeks on this because as I've continued to have conversations, as I continue to reflect on myself, um, this morning, just total transparency, it was one of those mornings where you wake up and you just dread getting out of bed. Just like, I don't even want to get out of bed today. There's no particular reason for it. Just like, I wish that I could sleep for another six hours right now. Um, we're weak. And we're even more weak today, certainly, than we were three years ago before all the insanity broke loose in 2020. And even though it might appear that life is back to normal, we've been broken, beaten down, discouraged, even feeling defeated over the last couple of years. And so, we need to know that how we feel right now does not limit what God can do in and through us. That's why Paul is praying this. So the simple heart check for all of us today is, is are we so beaten down, bruised, battered, discouraged, disappointed, in pain, suffering, struggling, discouraged, angry, whatever it might be, that we're no longer even open to the power of God working in us? That's all that Jesus ever needs from his followers, is willingness. When he says, come follow me, he doesn't say, because you're qualified, he actually says, and I will make you to become who I want you to be. And so the one tool 
that I want us to take up today to be open to the power of God to carry us to heights of experiencing His presence together in a way that we probably would be too embarrassed to hope that God Himself would dwell with us is that we would be radically, ruthlessly devoted to prayer. Um, probably five years ago, I uh, realized that I was groomed in, discipled in a church that did not pray. First church that I, that I met Jesus in did not pray. We were very quick to have strategies. Um, we would pray at the beginning of a church gathering and the end of a church gathering or at the beginning of a meal or whatever it might be, but I had not learned to pray. And then Next church that we were a part of, Reality LA over in Hollywood, learned so much richness about prayer, and it inspired me to pray two simple things to God with my life. First, God, would you make me a man of prayer? I'm not one, and I can't do it on my own. And second, I prayed, would you make me a winsome evangelist? Okay? It's like youthful ambition. Those were the two things that I wanted with my life. I can, I can look back and see profound work that God has done in that first one. I'm still waiting on the second one. We'll see what he does there. It might be a no or a later or whatever. But I can simply stand here with no bragging at all and say, if we are willing, just like I remember praying five years ago, maybe it was longer than that, God is so ready to answer our prayers. I can look back and look at my life here and now and just the solidity of feeling Jesus under my feet that so much has simply come from prayer and say, God will be faithful to you. There's nothing remarkable about me. You all are so much smarter than me, better pedigrees than I do. Um, God's going to do so much through you. And that's not false humility here. Like, I'm honored to get to be here with you. And I'm eager and zealous to see you become the you in Jesus that can make an impact for the kingdom. And just like Paul kneels here in prayer, prayer will be key to your usefulness to God and your experience of communion with him along the way. So is prayer worth it? we got to know that there's a lot of cost. Um, in the life of our church over the last three years or so, four years or so. We've seen people healed, various things, back pain, nervous tics, anxiety, depression, other forms of pain, sickness. Um, back in May of last year, I was looking through some notes because I, I so quickly lose sight of how God answers prayer that I need to write them down when they're particularly inspiring to me. And uh, he's here, and so I'm going to call him out. Uh, my son prayed for me, Hudson prayed for me in May of 2021. I was really sick, like the kind of sick where you feel it coming on and you have razor blades in your throat and it's like day one and you're just dreading what's going to happen next. And he prayed that God would heal me. This was at night and I woke up the next day and it was gone. You can look at that and say, yeah, probably something else. Or you can look at that and say, God hears the prayers even of small children. It's up to you. I think that there's much more joy and truth in the reality that God hears and answers prayer. Uh, the amount of people that we've seen who are even unknowingly being 
um, attacked by uh, evil spirits. And as we simply pray, Jesus, would you bring freedom to them? Physiological manifestations are removed. Beginning even to hear God speak and communicate back to us as we learn to pray. At Frontline Prayer, one of the things that we do, our Thursday prayer meeting that we had for a long time, was simply sit quietly and listen. I was a big skeptic of that for a long time until one of my mentors said, you really, you always question what you sense from God, unless it's like right there in Scripture. And he said, do you not think that the God who made you also knows how to communicate with you? It was very profound to me. Um, I actually found out that my dad was in prison in Florida through a picture that was received during a time of prayer. That's how available God is to us. It's not special people receiving special things from God that are exclusive of normal Christ followers. This is the kind of Acts 2 reality that God is willing to press in among his people. And friends, we, we fall so short of that. Not saying that it's all just, if we're just ready, then he'll make it happen. We need to follow in the way that God has laid down for us in a fundamental way is learning to pray. I'm doing physical therapy right now because I tore my ACL in May of last year. And you know, you get the surgery, everything should be fine, right? No, in fact, the worst part is all the physical therapy that you have to undergo. Months and months and months of the training to get back to healthy. And yet we assume that, oh, I'm a Christian, now everything should just come easily and naturally. When nothing, if you're, you're here in school, because you realize you can't just choose your occupation and you're fine with it. But oftentimes we treat prayer as though it should just naturally flow into my life. No, prayer requires tr training, formation, learning from people who are a little bit ahead of us in those who have experienced God through prayer. Prayer is worth it. Okay, I'm going to jump into a couple of things. Building blocks to a prayer life. This is really practical because we're taken from what Paul prays with this huge Mount Everest vision of the with God life and trying to put some real tangible foundational things that we can do, okay? Uh, start your day centering on the with God life. Basically what that means is start your day praying. Start your day saying, Lord, I need you. I want to live with you. We have these abiding prayer cards that give you a structure out on the, uh, one of the tables out there number of people have taken those and started implementing them and talked about how it's helped them. So I trust that you're like them and it'll help you. Start your day with prayer. Second, where is your thin place? Old Celtic Christians used to have what they would call thin places. Thin place just means a place where it's much more easy for you to encounter God. The veil between heaven and earth gets really thin. It is so helpful to have a specific place where you go for no other reason than to pray. Um, I go out on my back porch or up on the roof of our apartment. I don't go to those places just to sit and chill. I go there and it's almost as though I go into a particular gear and that gear is more receptive naturally to the Lord. 
We live in a world of noise. If you don't have that, it's going to be real hard to grow in the ways that you could otherwise if you have a thin place. That's why old saints had what they called prayer closets. Maybe it's your closet. There you go. An idea. Uh, posture matters. I was talking to someone last week who encountered someone who said, why do, you, why do you need to like go out and prayer walk? Why can't you just pray those prayers sitting in a classroom somewhere? Well, because prayer is not just what you say and it goes out into the ether, your posture actually matters. That's why we have prayer rugs in the back. You can kneel. It's why Paul actually details, guys, I'm kneeling for you. Because prayer is this interrelational dynamic between us and God. And here's a crazy thing that I do not understand. Throughout Scripture, when God's people are more desperate, he is more willing to move. Undeniable. Therefore, not all prayer is equal. Not all prayer is equal. When James writes of Elijah the prophet, it says he prayed zealously that it may not rain, and God withheld rain for three years. Posture matters. Maybe if prayer is hard for you, try kneeling. Try allowing your body to lead your soul into intimacy with God. Fourth, pray out loud whenever you can. More and more and more I'm realizing that as I'm able to pray out loud and hear myself pray, it is a more powerful, immersive experience for me. Fifth, ask God questions and listen for the Spirit. If God is present with us and a person who desires relational intimacy and communion, we should speak to him. Now, don't go out and do something insane just because you think you heard it. There are other spirits out there, and you do have a, a personal internal voice that can speak to you as well. But what you sense, walk with community in the midst of it. If it's like a tangible thing you got to do, sometimes it'll just be the spirit affirming God's love for you like we see here in this passage that you may ponder the realities of the height and depth and length and breadth of God's love for us. And then sixth, use written prayers like Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 to shape your faith. It's why we have incorporated more spoken out, written down prayers into our gatherings here and into the life of our community because written out depth trains us to pray things that spontaneity would never have the boldness to say out loud. Like when you read the Psalms out loud and the psalmist is promising to obey God. Well, Lord, I've, I want to obey you, but can I promise that? Like, that's bold. Use written prayers to shape our prayer life as well. Okay. Wrapping up. Today, anyone know what today is in the church calendar? Pentecost. Today, in the church calendar, so there's kind of this marked out calendar that rotates through the, through the year and has Easter especially as kind of an anchor, and then you measure all sorts of other Sundays and days throughout the year according to that. Today is Pentecost. It just means 50 days after, uh, 50 days after, 50 days specifically after Easter, the resurrection. Today's Pentecost Sunday. On Pentecost Sunday, or Pentecost, I don't know if it was actually a Sunday in Acts 2, on Pentecost, the Spirit fell as the people of God were doing what? What were they doing? Praying. 
They were praying in a room. I think it even says with the doors locked. And the Spirit of God fell and filled them. None of this was even intentional. But allow that to be a simple reminder that as God's people simply commit themselves to praying, He is faithful to move and show up. And in Ephesians 3, verse 20, from our text, Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, two things to see there. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. No matter how elaborate or um, extravagant your desires may be, God is stronger still. But where does that power reside? Paul says, according to the power at work within us. It's an allusion to the Spirit's dwelling within you and I that plugs us into the presence of God, the center of the entire universe. And what is bringing about the new creation is a seed, an outlet, if you will, within you and within me and among us. And so let's not have such low thoughts of us that are actually low thoughts of Jesus that say, I am too weak for even Jesus to make me a person of prayer. Friends, uh, Jesus is bigger still. That's why, scriptures say, in our weakness, his power is made perfect.